Welcome back. Wait. Welcome back to Soccer from the Zoo. My name is Michael Howie. I'm back with Kyle Pinnell. And uh, we've, we've got a great episode this week. Uh, we had a, a very exciting Premier League weekend, and lots happened in the MLS. We're going to ca- talk all that for you. But uh, first, uh, starting with college soccer, if you listened to our last episode, you know that we started to talk about it, and uh, we're going we're gonna to continue that to start this one. There's been some recent developments in terms of Mizzou's schedule. Uh, they were supposed to play the Florida Gators tomorrow uh, at home at Walton Stadium. However, three Florida players have tested positive for COVID-19, and that game has been postponed until a later date. So it's kind of unfortunate. This, these things, you know, the, the SEC expected that they might happen, and, and they have plans in place. And so hopefully that game will be able to be made up. But for the time being... Uh, the Tigers will have to wait until next weekend, and they will travel to South Carolina to take on the Gamecocks, who are one of the favorites in the SEC this season. So it's going to be a very tough beginning to their season, and they're going to have to wait a week longer. We'll see how that impacts their energy level and their confidence going in. But, you know, the the season is still on, and while this game was canceled, it uh, it doesn't mean that the season's been canceled yet. So got to stay optimistic about that. Uh, Kyle, you don't really follow it as much as I do, but, uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, you know, I try, I try. Um, there's a lot going on in football right now, but it's definitely a bummer to not be able to play uh, the opener on Saturday at home against Florida. Uh, would have been, I believe the first athletic event held here in Columbia since last year. Uh, so that's always a bummer not to have that. It's good as far as the safety of the players and the uh, all-around safety um, of everyone involved that that got postponed. So it's a bummer, but uh, that game against South Carolina should be a fun one. We'll see uh, how that goes. So that's um, all I have to add there. And did you want to transition into uh, some Premier League talk? Yeah, well, so... Um... There was a, a big matchup, a big rivalry between the two of us this past weekend with Everton traveling to play Tottenham, and uh, they they did indeed play Tottenham. Um, uh, Tottenham got I, d- I don't even really want to talk about this game, but played them off the field, right? Exactly. It was it was ugly. It was very very ugly, and I mean, you got You got to give credit to Everton. I think I'll start with that. Um, as a soccer fan, it's good to see a team like Everton, who have been kind of a mid-table team for quite a long time now. They've they've stuck with it. They haven't been to, they haven't been uh, relegated. They haven't really been co- competing for top four for for a while. But they are a new team, and I think it's time that the Premier League takes them seriously. And I honestly did not take them as seriously before this game against Tottenham, if I'm being perfectly honest. We I, talked about it for 30 minutes on our last show. I know. We, we talked about it, and, and they have some good players, but I was not going to believe it until I saw it. Um, but they all worked really well together. Uh, James Rodriguez was excellent. Their entire midfield, we, we talked about how they were going to be a revamped midfield, but they really were against Tottenham. And Tottenham just had no answers. And I'll, I'll get into some of the the problems I had with the way uh, Mourinho managed 
uh, the team, especially mm-hmm. in the second half with substitutions. But first, I want to hear your thoughts on Everton and their performance. Yeah, well, on the field, it was only 1-0. Uh, but in all of us Evertonians' um, hearts and how we felt, it's exactly what's happening in the Bayern Schalke game right now as Bayern currently is up by a touchdown. Anyways, uh, that's how it felt. Uh, <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I, I, it was just unbelievable. Everton, I think there's like they haven't won a road top six game since um, going to Old Trafford and beating Man United seven years ago. Uh, usually the away games, they had a really good run of form a few seasons ago, beating Chelsea and Arsenal and United at home. That was a great stretch. They haven't yet, they've yet to do it on the road until that Tottenham game. And it wasn't just Everton lucking their way or maybe countering their way to a one nothing result against the Mourinho side. Um, Everton was dominant in this game as far as the midfield goes. But I thought the first half was really even as far as Tottenham playing through um, Youngman's son, springing him in behind, giving Everton's backline troubles uh, or trouble. But seeing how just the passing and the movement in the midfield, it, it was a lot of back and forth and tiki taka esque. But it it felt like there was more of a purpose. There was um, Allen who was pretty much running the entire midfield. And then Ducore in transition, progressing the ball. And then Hamas just on on the right side, cutting in with his left. He had one shot uh, on a pretty good sequence, but continuously finding a way to get the ball and then switching play and really springing Richarlison and Lucas Digne down the left. And Everton really should have gone up one nothing a whole lot earlier. Uh, luckily for Tottenham, he lost his footing and shot the um, ball over the bar. But overall, like, it was just an impressive performance by Everton where it's only one nil against a team like Tottenham. But a couple of, a couple of seasons ago, if you were to tell me that they win in North London by any result, it wouldn't even matter if it was a penalty, I would take it. So we'll go more into Everton a little later, but uh, what was it that Everton was able to do to be so dominant against Tottenham, especially in the second half, the first half, I thought both teams were pretty even. Um, but, but yeah, um, what did Tottenham, the adjustments that Mourinho made clearly didn't work as they kind of kept falling out of the game. Well, yeah, I think, you know, it was 0-0 at half, and it, it could have been a lot more. Uh, it, there could have been goals scored, as you mentioned. But you also just got the sense that there were going to be goals scored in the second half. It was that high intensity with with no goals by by 45 minutes into the game, you, you just knew that there were going to be goals scored. And so, honestly, I was actually surprised with the one nothing result. I thought it would be 2-1, 3-2, 2-2, something like that. But talking about the adjustments made, you know, Deli Alley did not have an excellent half, uh, and that turned out to be his, his game. He did not have an excellent half. However, uh, Maria made the decision at halftime to substitute uh, Musa Sissoko for him and he came on as a halftime substitute. And I've never really been a fan of halftime subs, especially when they're not due to injury or, you know, an abysmal performance. You know, I don't think Deli Alli had an abysmal performance. I don't think he played it particularly well. But he had one of his best chances. Exactly. He, he was really he was providing some of those outlet passes um, that allowed players like Kingman Son to just – excel in the first 10 15 minutes of the game you know son 
uh, I don't know. I'll get to him in a second, but his first half was remarkable. I was I was very impressed. I thought for sure he was going to get one eventually. Uh, but you know, his second half just I don't know what happened. He he just disappeared, and so I think it's it's obviously a difficult decision as a manager when to substitute a player, uh, and it's going to you know come into your mind at halftime in the dressing room. But you know, Deli Ali is one of those players who he he's going to have those inconsistencies, and I think you've got to at least give him a chance in that second half to come on if he's still not playing well by the 65th, 70th, 75th even minute, you know, then you can make that substitution. And especially a player like Sissoko, who, you know, he's he adds a lot to the midfield, but he's not really a goal scorer. He, he scored, like, his first goal in a long time last season, and it was his only goal. And it was a great goal, but still, he, it was his only goal. And I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. And I don't want to say, like, how dare he substitute Mrs. Sissoko, but... At the same time, I think you've got to give Deli Ali a chance there, and I, I, I feel bad for him, for for Deli Ali because you know, you know I, he obviously didn't want to get subbed off, and he's he's had his fair share of good games. He's had his fair share of bad games, but I think you've just got to give him a chance. And real quick, another name I want to mention uh, that was a, a big shocker to me was Harry Kane. You know, Harry Kane is one of those players who is I mean, obviously you got to talk about him he's world class but in this game he was never he was almost never mentioned I mean I I could probably yeah. count on on one hand maybe maybe two hands but no more than that the number of times an announcer said Harry Kane has the ball Harry Kane passes it Harry Kane receives the pass anything like that he was just nowhere to be seen in the equation it seemed it was really all Sun but Sun was really only there in the first half so their second half attacking just disappeared, and I think that's something that they've got to work on, uh, it, it, keeping that conditioning, whatever you want to call it, whatever you want to say it is, but Everton really just dominated the game, and part of it is that Everton did not allow Tottenham to have a whole lot of possession, and when Tottenham did get possession, they lost it very quickly, and Everton were able to get those passing triangles, and they really mm-hmm. just they just took advantage of Tottenham's playing style, which is to sit back and allow... Yep you know teams to pass it around and then counter but their counter was just not there as i mentioned it was there in the first half but it was not there at all mm-hmm. in the second half and when a team's pressing like everton who's you, who's you know you see them and they're for sure going to score you've got to counter like like mad to try and get those goals before they do uh and, and they didn't do that and that's why they lost the game yeah uh, doherty had probably tottenham's best chance of the game uh popping up and almost converting a right-footed shot in the box that I believe Pickford came up with a great save on. That was about as dangerous as Tottenham looked, obviously sitting back like you just mentioned. It's now 8 nothing in the Bayern-Schalke game. I just thought I'd provide oh that little God. update. <laughs> yeah, um, now Schalke need two more to match Barcelona. But Yeah, true. Hey, uh, I mean, Bayern have scored more goals against Schalke than uh, they scored against Tottenham in the Champions League, so yes, there's something. That, good for you guys. Uh, I figure... Um, before um, you maybe talk about just the pressing style, there's some statistics that really exemplified uh, what Tot- how Tottenham was pressing but not really with a purpose. I'll just go through that, but I, I wanted to kind of discuss the goal a little bit. It was a really simple one. Like, out of all the chances produced in this game, I didn't think it would be a far set piece that would pretty much be the game's only goal. But 
the delivery by Dinier, who now has 144 chances created, the most of any defender in Europe's top five leagues. Very, very great left back, and he is just a wonderful ball. Dominic Calvert-Lewin runs in. I don't know what Tottenham was doing on the marking there, uh, but a great, powerful header for 1-0. Um, was it as, I mean, it looks simple, but I, I can only imagine what you saw from a Tottenham angle there because I just saw the ball hit the back of the net. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I don't even know how to say it. Like, the, the marking there was abysmal, and they've got to do better. You know, it, it's the back line. We talked about it in the last episode. The back line really needs work. And I, I'll be honest, I was not impressed with what I saw from Dirty. Uh, you know, I think he is there to to really to really challenge Aurier. And Aurier started on the bench. He he never came in, obviously, because Doherty did not get subbed off. But I th- I think that throughout the season, if if what Doherty's putting in is kind of how he's going to be playing the rest of the season, I think we will see a lot of Mourinho changing up the lineup and putting in Aurier actually starting games, you know, against all different t- kinds of clubs. You know, we'll see how Doherty's performance improves, but uh, Tottenham played their uh, second round Europa League qualifying match uh, yesterday. And I didn't, the the stream, I was checking social media to follow the game and the stream apparently was really finicky and not working uh, in other countries, uh, which gives you a sense of who Tottenham are playing in their Europa League second round qualifying. And they barely won, but I'll, I'll riff on that later. But anyway, Doherty apparently, according to social media, uh, did not have a good performance, and people are very upset about uh, him. So uh, that's who Doherty is as a player, though. We talked about it last week. As far as like he'll get the, that one or two, uh, those one or two chances a game that we saw that probably had the highest expected goals out of any chance of the night, uh, bar Mr. Uh, Rich Arlison's miss. But I mean, you're going to get that from him. He doesn't provide assists defensively. He's not going to be the best defensive right back. So you're really getting him to put away those chances and that didn't happen, but it's just something you have to accept. Like for Tottenham fans, like that's, that's who Doherty is. And he'll probably come away with six, seven goals. He might lead a lot of defenders in that category, but whatever else he's contributing, it'll be kind of interesting to watch that week to week. Oh yeah, I I agree. I think it'll be, he, he's definitely a a different style um, outside Mm -hmm. back when you look at him versus Aurier. Um, so I, and I think that is kind of what contributes to Mourinho maybe playing them at different times against different opponents, depending on how those opponents are going to stack up defensively in addition, considering who their, uh, attack is and who it's comprised of and, and how they kind of, uh, break down opponents and then putting in Doherty or Aurier, depending on, uh, the skill set that's, that's needed. Yeah. And Tottenham really, uh, needed something in attack and, I think as of this morning, there is a spotting of a really, really good attacker in North London that you kind of want to transition from the game into kind of talking about this this huge move for Tottenham. Yeah, sure. So uh, the the player in question is Gareth Bale, uh, a former Tottenham man himself, um, which would be so exciting for Tottenham. It's it's a player. Wales golf Real Madrid. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I, I think he actually was medically cleared in London, and then he was spotted at Hotspur Way, which is their training ground. So, you know, that's a good sign. Everyone on social media is going nuts about it, like all the comments, announce, announce bail, announce bail. 
Um, and meanwhile, they're, uh, they actually announced uh, uh, they were like taking pictures and, and posting uh, Alex Morgan's first training session today, which is exciting. Uh, but <laughs> it's not what the general, the general population of fans really want to see. So, uh, you know, <laughs> that, that, would, that, would be, that would be nice to get Announce a striker, but also announce bail. Yeah, exactly. Also announce a striker. Yeah, well, there's just so many, there's so many different positions that are needed so announce just announce a new team can we please uh but anyway back to bale uh he's you know he, so he, he's played at tottenham he had a great career with tottenham and and then he he eventually went on to real madrid you know last season he didn't really uh play too much for madrid he was kind of like the trend was that he was uh uh sitting on the bench he kind of went viral for a couple pictures of him uh, with like staring into like empty toilet paper rolls, like having fun. But but anyway, <laughs> he's he would bring so much to the team. He's such a threat from long distance, and there really isn't a player on Spurs other than you know maybe Harry Kane, maybe uh, Ndombele, who ha- who brings mm-hmm. that that like really lethal threat from deep, uh, from from far range. I'm, I'm my basketball brain just kicked in there for a second from deep. But um, mm-hmm. you know. He kind of reminds me of uh, Christian Eriksen in a way, and just the way that he plays and, and the the assets that he would bring. I think, you know, if you look at a free kick that's taken maybe twenty five, thirty yards out, he's the type of player who can put that, sh- who, who can actually shoot that and put it on goal, and and you know maybe get a goal out of that. And right now, those set pieces are going to be are being crossed in, and they're not, well, maybe not twenty five, but thirty, thirty five. Um, they're being crossed in, hoping for a for a head to meet it at the other end, and that's just not happening right now. And so I think they need to change up the way that they're attacking. Gareth Bale would bring so much to their attack. He's such a dynamic midfielder. He's got speed. He can really change pace. And I think that you know, getting a player like him would uh, would it would improve you know just the the diversity in their attack, which is so mm-hmm. crucial right now because. You look at players like Son and Kane, who are pretty uh, diverse in their attack, mm-hmm. but they're you know Kane was was out of the question against Everton, mm-hmm. and Son was as well in the second half. So there was really nothing going, and a player like Gareth Bale can kind of uh, you know revamp that. He can bring a second level of energy, and he wants to start. He he you know he he didn't start for Real Madrid, and so he would certainly be a starter for Tottenham, and so that, I think that's kind of a drive for him as well. Uh, a motivation for him to to start with Spurs, uh, so it's exciting, and we'll see what happens where, with that. But yeah, where do you think? Um, sorry to interrupt. Where do you think he plays tactically? I mean, uh, if you have Kane and Son as a front two, do you play him as a um, wide midfielder? Do you play like more of a four four two type system? Do you um, play a front three again, and then you have Son on the left, Kane up front, and then Bale on the right uh, with license to cut in on his left? Uh, foot there and take shots. I, I, how would you think uh, Tottenham could you uh, best utilize his strengths and what he brings to the team? I think that as I mentioned, Christian Eriksen. Um, yeah. I think that did. if they went back to the way that they played with Eriksen, where they had mm-hmm. uh, Son Kane up top, they had Deli Ali kind of sneaking up as well, and then Eriksen kind of lurking back, uh, you know, on the attack, almost like a, you know, sort of like an attacking mid, but. Also, he he would have the ability to play on the right side, like you mentioned. He's an mm-hmm. excellent crosser, um, but he can also, like you said, he can cut in and he can have those long range attempts. And with the left foot of his, but also with his right, 
you know, he, he can score yeah. goals. And so he would be so lethal on the wing because you don't know. He can he can take it to the line and he can cross in, but he can also, you know, he, he can cut in and score. And so that's a, a huge, huge uh, asset for a team to have. And I think that it would really it would really improve them. Yeah, an all-around attacker. I kind of like that idea of just he can pretty much plug and play anywhere along Tottenham's um, midfield to attack, and, and that's going to be so beneficial. Uh, a really, really big signing. I think we should probably move on from Everton and Tottenham talk get to the rest of the Premier League, starting with the first game of the season, Liverpool-Leeds. And this was an absolutely fun game to watch. I did not expect it to be this close. And it's going in the third minute with Mohamed Salah, penalty kick um, due to a handball. Uh, Salah had a hat trick in this game, and his second goal was just very, very good. Um, And then Leeds actually was coming back. Uh, Jack Harrison, who used to play for NYCFC in Major League Soccer uh, as a part of the city system, he's currently with Leeds, and he had Leeds' first goal back in the Premier League in, I believe, 16 years. Uh, Just great dribbling and control there. And then, as I said, it was finished 4-3 after a late penalty kick was conceded, and we can talk about that um, by the new signing Rodrigo Rodrigo there. Uh, So I don't know if you watched this or you saw some of the highlights, uh, but uh, what did you take away from this game? And uh, and then looking at the back line, because I know you're a defender yourself, uh, what did you see from Liverpool? Yeah, so this was actually the exact game that I expected would happen. Uh, I think if you can you you can go back and check the tapes of our last episode or maybe the one before when we uh, predicted what might happen. This was a game that we said was going to be exciting. We said it was certainly one to watch. And when you get, you know, and we, we've had this discussion before, but when you get a team that's just won the Premier League and you get a team that's just been promoted and they also uh, came in first in the championship, you know, they're excited and they're really excited to play. And they brought so much energy. I'm talking about Leeds. Uh, first they brought so much energy and I was I think I was more impressed not with the ability for them to keep it close in the end to make it only 4-3 and they were so close to drawing which would have been incredible for them Uh, but I was actually most impressed with their ability to come back from behind because when you know uh, speaking from my perspective as a player when I'm playing in a big game which I've I've played in a few and you go down early like Leeds did in the third minute you know it's crushing because you've got so much hype so much excitement all the the adrenaline's pumping and an opponent scores against you three minutes into the game it's very very difficult to kind of put that behind you get it out of your head and pretend like it's a new a new game zero zero and Leeds did that and they did it multiple times and so that's what I was most impressed with them about um but talking about Liverpool's back line, you know, Virgil van Dijk has been, for so long, uh, he's been regarded as probably the best center back, maybe even just the best defender in, in the world, and certainly the Premier League. But, you know, he's made a lot of mistakes recently, and his mm-hmm. mistakes are leading to goals, and that happened as well. I can't remember who scored for Leeds on a particular. Bamford, on that, I think it was Bamford. It was Bamford. Okay, so yeah, just a, a poor clearance from Van Dyke. He, I don't know if he checked his shoulder. He he didn't see uh, a Leeds player just to his right, and he just kind of misplayed it, I think, and it it fell right to a, to uh, to Bamford, and he scored. 
And, you know, I think Liverpool have to, you know, they won this game. you got to give them credit. They scored four goals. Mosala was Mosala. And, and the whole team just works so well together. But they're not an invincible team. And they certainly know that. But I think that it really requires them to kind of dig deep and see and, you know, and say to themselves, like, we, we've got to get this together on the back line because they have made a lot of mistakes. And they do not usually allow three goals. But a, a part of it is that's just kind of how the flow of the game went, where there, it was a very open game. That's why you get seven goals scored. But they need to really work on that back line because I think it's what needs the most work, if I'm being perfectly honest. I can't find a single flaw in their attack. You know, they've got so many stars on that on that midfield and, and in the in the, the striker position. But, you know, their yeah. back line is going to need the most work, and this is certainly a wake-up call for them. Yeah, uh, definitely. And talking about their attack in midfield, uh, Roberto Firmino was amazing in this game, kind of dropping back and creating so much space for their attack and linking up play. I, I He caught my eye in this game. He did really well. Uh, looking at Van Dyke, of course, that mistake, mistake here, had a similar mistake that led to a goal against... Italy when he was playing for Netherlands in the Nations League. So I think Van Dijk will clear it up. He's still one of the best center backs in the world. Um, give him a few weeks. If I continue to see that, I'll be a little worried. And then looking back at, um, or one last thing for Liverpool, their press, their counter-pressing here, just classic Liverpool. Uh, Leeds would win the ball back and then immediately pass it back to Liverpool, which resulted in some of their best chances. So Liverpool still look like Liverpool, as you said. Of course, we can nitpick their defense all we want to do. But realistically, I mean, we saw it with Leeds. If you get into a shootout with Liverpool, there's more odds that you're not going to, like, there's more odds that you're not going to outscore them just because of the attacking talent. So I'm not worried about Liverpool, maybe with how tight it could be in the race for the um, Premier League trophy. You got City. Uh, I'd be interested to see how they come out. Chelsea. Didn't look the best. Uh, they still won three one against Brighton. Uh, it just makes it more enticing at the top. And then I just wanted to point out there was a great article on Leeds by Michael Cox of the Athletic on just what will make him so entertaining. Because last season Norwich, I believe, started at Anfield, and they were also a very freewheeling side. I believe they sent their fullbacks up like crazy, and they played attacking soccer and. That's kind of how Leeds looked, but Leeds looked a lot better than Norwich did last year at most points. And uh, Cox pointed out how they leave a center back unmarked. So so teams can build out of the back against them, but they also have an extra defender to play around with in defense. And then you're looking at, um, I think he highlighted Kevin Phillips who had a great game uh, at center back, just pinging the balls. We mentioned they like to play direct from the back and then um, bring players forward and play off. Uh, one, two, three, three touch passes and try and get behind the back line. Uh, but uh, Phillips did so well with just starting all these plays off and um, finding those accurate balls. And then, um, yeah, I think I mentioned Leeds will will play open. And then it'll be a fun team. It was, it's an article I suggest checking out by Michael Cox. It's always so good on the tactical side of these games i don't know if there's any other thoughts you had on this game or if you want to move on yeah well i just wanted to real quick touch on passing out of the back i think it's it's a it's a strategy that teams are starting to use more and more and you know a lot of teams are very good at it and i think Leeds 
if I'm being perfectly honest, Leeds are one of those teams for sure. From what I saw, you know, that's one of the first times I'd actually watched Leeds for like a, an extended amount of time because they, when I started following the Premier League, they weren't in, they haven't been in in a long time. But, you know, uh, I think with with the new uh, the newer rule, I think it was implemented last year, which allowed players to be inside the 18-yard box when they received a goal kick. It's really just kind of... Uh, promoted the idea of building out of the back of just being a possession-based team and and working your way up the field instead of hoping that uh, a goal kick is going to be able to want, be won by your midfielders and it's it's actually a strategy that my team uh implemented on, on my own uh team that I played for last season and the season before and it, it works really well if you get good at it and so I think that for the future of Leeds this season if they can continue to do that they can just break down teams. It, it really wears teams out chasing around possession. They, they get tired, and it, it opens up the game so much. And as you saw, Leeds really took advantage of that open game. And, and they didn't win, but they played against the best team you know, in, in, in England, I would say. So kudos to them for, for a, an ex, exciting uh, and, and very impressive performance, and I, I really look forward to what they can do for the rest of this season. That style will work against a lot of teams in the Premier League. But Liverpool trying to play from the back against that Liverpool side, very brave from them. And like I was kind of talking about, they defaulted to playing some direct balls to get into the attacking third. But against a side like Fulham, which we'll get into, and West Ham and Newcastle, teams that don't really press as hard as Liverpool does, that could, like you said, they could find some success playing out of the back and trying to work their way forward. So a very entertaining team to watch. Uh, unless you watched another game in the Premier League, I kind of wanted to go through just some of our thoughts on what we've seen, what we've read. Um, I usually try and watch the highlights of most games when I can. And from my point of view, I I watched, I believe, a 10, 12-minute highlight clip of the Wolves-Sheffield United game. Uh, Two goals for Wolves in the first five minutes. Jimenez is Jimenez. He'll score um, some great goals, and he did with a really difficult half volley uh in the second minute and then other than that Sheffield looks solid but with Wolves you're looking at this middle of the pack it's not going to be like who's the top five and then there's going to be a gap between six seven eight nine ten you're looking at Wolves are in a group with Tottenham Everton Leicester even Sheffield United we'll see with them uh but teams that will be challenging for Europe and all these teams really got off on the right foot. I mean, I know Tottenham, Tottenham still look good but at, for long stretches. And if uh, with Bale and the team now, I'm going to be interested to see how that goes. But I, I think this is going to be a very, very enticing mid-table to watch this season. Um, and we haven't even talked about Leicester that much. They're still a very good side. So I don't know if you have any takeaways from that area of the table. I, I thought Wolves look solid. Maybe if any team that might finish – near the back of it. I could see Everton and Wolves kind of going back and forth. I don't know. But what do you kind of see when you look at that area of the table? Uh, one of the games that stood out to me the most when I watched, and, and I'll explain why in a second, but uh, Crystal Palace-Southampton from last okay. weekend was uh, was an interesting game to watch the highlights of. Crystal Palace won uh, one nothing as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zaha scored very early on at first 15 minutes, I believe. Um, Zaha is a huge asset for them. They rely so much of their attack on him, and I, you know, if he can have a good season for them, I think they can maybe avoid relegation. But I also watched it because uh, Tottenham plays Southampton next weekend, 
and so I was kind of curious to see what they looked like as a team. And what stood out to me the most was their possession, honestly. They had over 70% possession, I believe, in, in the game, and yet they lost, which, you know, I, I don't believe that possession is a, a meaningful statistic in terms of success as a team, and you see it right there, that you can have 70% of the ball and not score a goal. And so I think that it's something that Tottenham honestly can, can take advantage of as a, as a team that sits back and counterattacks. A lot of times what you'll see from those teams that possess is they'll get too comfortable in possession. And, you know, it only takes one mistake from a possession-based team to allow a counterattack, and that's something that I think Tottenham can take advantage of. So when I was watching Crystal Palace Southampton, um, the, watching the highlights of that, I kind of had that in mind, and, and they really did look a little bit too comfortable when they had the ball. And and part of it is because Crystal Palace were sitting back and letting them have it. Um, but, you know, Tottenham are going to do the same, and Tottenham are a little bit more equipped to counterattack than Crystal Palace are. So I think that they can really have success if they uh, if they use that same strategy and allow Southampton to to keep the ball. Yeah, we so we saw that in the Everton game. As far as Tottenham were really good on the counter, and Everton's not a Everton had a lot of possession. Don't get me wrong, but they're also a higher quality team, uh, side than Southampton. And being able to, I guess. They looked good against Everton, and Everton, as we talked about, were very, very good when they were in possession. They try trying not to get give away too many chances. There were one or two in the first half, uh, but some will have a field day. I, I think Tottenham picks up a win uh, in their next game, and then just shifting to the other side of North London for a few minutes, Arsenal. I mean, are they competent <laughs> this season? Uh, they've already won a trophy. Okay, I get it with the Community Shield. Uh, but when it's silverware, Everton want uh, Everton and Tottenham both actually never win any silverware, so they would have taken it. Hey, hey, um, hey! We won the Audi Cup last year, okay, Kyle? <laughs> oh, I forgot yeah. you guys won the Audi Cup. We well, scored. We beat Juventus. We beat Juventus. <laughs> okay, we're gonna take that with a grain of salt. But <laughs> <laughs> but um, overall, Arsenal beat Fulham three nothing at Craven Cottage. Uh, Fulham back in the Premier League after a season in the Championship. Fulham's not going to – I mean, Fulham's going to be relegated. We talked about that. They did not look good at all. But also, you're looking at this Arsenal team. They have a really young core. I mean, they resigned Aubameyang, which we'll get to in a few minutes. But we talked about their center backs. I think they're both French. Saliba, and I, I, I got to look up their other center back. Very good young French defenders. They have options. It used to be like Mustafi and uh, – what was it? David Luiz. Very, very yeah. slow – slow back line and now they have some like now they can try and play a more aggressive pressing system under Mikel Arteta uh, that he must really like to have those options and having that speed in the back is crucial uh, I'm going to be interested in seeing what Arsenal does you got Lacazette up front you got Pepe or, yeah Pepe there uh, and then you got Aubameyang and then you got that midfield Arsenal look like a solid team this season. I, I didn't put them in with the Tottenham, Everton, Leicester, um, Wolves group. They they might be, if they're in that group, they're at the front end of it, or if not, they're challenging for Champions League places based on what I saw. Now, yeah. of course, take it with a grain of salt before you start. It's Fulham. Uh, but what do you think about Arsenal? Yeah, I think part of it is you look at you look at the scoreline, 3 nothing, and they had three different goal scorers, which really speaks to you know, they're, they're, they're multiple threats. And one of their goals scored, I think it was scored by uh, uh, Gabriel 
Um, mm-hmm. and he's a he's a center he's right? a center back. So yeah, you know the, you get Alexander Lacazette who's going to score. He's going to score a lot of goals for them. You get Aubameyang who's going to score even more. But they can still they can still distribute, and lots of players on that team are able to score. And I hate to say it as a as a yeah. a Tottenham fan who who's in that rivalry with with the other North London team, but I think they I think they should be taken a little bit more seriously this year. Uh, mm-hmm. because they, they really do, like you said, they, they've got that strengthened back line. It's got more speed, it's got more pace, and it's it's a little bit more intelligent. They lose uh, David Luiz, but they lost him earlier uh, last yeah. season, so they've, they've already played without him, and they're comfortable with that. And so I think they, they will have a, a good season. I honestly, if I'm being perfectly honest, I think they will finish in front of Tottenham this year. And that's a... I, I, yeah. yeah. I think they'll finish in front. I think they're going to be Europa League slash... I think they're competing with Chelsea and United for Champions League, which they need to get back to the Champions League as far as to reach their ambitions because that money influx that they'll get from making that competition, which they haven't done since Wenger, that would be huge. But I also got to say, the best part about watching Arsenal isn't watching Arsenal, it's watching Arsenal fan TV. So (laughs) (laughs) that's my favorite part of watching Arsenal. Um, Usually when they implode, very fun channel to watch, even when they don't. Um, they've been great. Uh, so that's what I have to say there. I know we're kind of getting to the end of our hour window and we're still in the Premier League. Um, so just kind of a quick rundown here on Chelsea. I mentioned 3-1, uh, they beat Brighton. They looked okay. I, I don't know why Kai Havertz wasn't at, at, at the number 10 where he can thrive and he was instead on the right wing. He's not that defensive. He got bypassed a lot. Uh, he had some promising moments, but he's, much better when he can kind of work with Timo Werner, who he probably works with in the German national team setup a lot. They probably already have a little bit of a connection. I don't know what Lampard was doing there. He's still got to fit uh, Zayic and uh, Pulisic in, and Mason Mount continues to do Mason Mount things because he's still there. Tame Abraham was an option off the bench. Um, so <laughs> I just listed off a whole lot of like national team quality players. And, and then there was Kappa. He allowed the goal. It wasn't pretty. And there was a little bit of talking about, like, is he one of the most expensive goalkeepers in the world? Does he cut it for for this Chelsea team? Is he good enough for Lampard and Chelsea? And do Chelsea have too many options here to kind of, for Lampard to fit in? It's a good problem to have, but can you get to the point where you're not going to see it against Brighton, you're not going to see it against Fulham, but you get into that range of, God, I can't believe I'm saying this, Everton and then Wolves and Leicester. You get into that range. Do you kind of see that maybe being an issue? I don't. Um, I think that this is the, like you said, this is the best possible problem you could have as a manager is you've got too many good players and you don't know who to start. And I think that the only issue that that creates as a manager is you're afraid that you're going to make the wrong decision and you you just, you just you look too much into who you should start instead of just going with your gut and, and you know, you can substitute, right? There's three substitutes for a reason, uh, you know, if it were five, uh, like it were at the end of uh, last season because of the uh, the restart, um, then I think that Chelsea are for sure the big. Uh, I mean, they're the biggest threat off the bench um, that I've seen in a long time. But also, just they're they're such a such a dynamic and uh, and different team. And mm-hmm. you mentioned all those players. Uh, you know, you start with Pulisic, 
and you've just got so many different players. Timo Werner's got he, he's new, you know, so many different guys you can attack. And I think that that will really set them apart from other teams that you could say are, you know, quote unquote at their level. Um, you know, I we've been kind of putting Man City and Liverpool above teams like Chelsea, United, you want to look at maybe uh, Arsenal, Wolves, sorry, in that group. And Chelsea kind of last season, they kind of fit there. But I think we got to be honest that that Chelsea are going to be competing with City and Liverpool this year. I think that yeah. they, are, uh, they are stepping up, which is something that I did not think that they could really do. And I believe they won the league um, 2017 or 2016. I can't remember. I know. I know. Leicester won twenty fifteen or sixteen. Yeah. And I think they were the season after that. But but anyway, they're really looking at at, at winning the whole thing this year. I really think that they can do it. Um, they're certainly a longer shot compared to City and Liverpool. But and part of that is just because we haven't seen all these guys play together before. Yeah. And I think that you know they scored three goals. They did allow one, but they mm-hmm. they're a huge threat to any team they face and I'm really really excited to watch them I think they're that's probably the the most exciting team for me this season I forgot in mentioning all those attackers they oh yeah have Nicola Conte one of the best central defensive midfielders in the world I think Jorginho's still there as far as orchestrating out of the back too you got such a great midfield there Havertz Jorginho um, you got Giroud yeah Yeah. gosh Giroud and I mean, it was Reese James, the right back, who scored a screamer of a goal yeah. um, during that crazy period. You got Kurt Zuma on the back line, who played really well for Everton. Uh, we really miss him up, up here. And then you also have left back Ben Chilwell. What? Yeah. Like, this entire team is stacked. Uh, Keppa, he's got to make a few more saves, right? But, yeah, yeah this is yeah. team is just, I can't even believe I'm going to these names, and it's like an all-star team. Yeah, and, and I mean— better be competing. Tammy Abraham was on the bench the entire game. He never came on. Same with Giroud. It's it's unbelievable the oh, the depth that they have. So they're going to be a very impressive team. Yeah, unbelievable. And as we wrap up the Premier League, we got a few more categories. I'm going to go through the rumors and transfers real quick. You can interject if you have anything. Arsenal, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang re-upped on a three-year deal worth 250,000 pounds a week. Of course, he transferred from Dortmund in 2018 for 56 million pounds. And then, of course, his partnership with Lacazette is one of the puzzles that um, Arteta has to kind of unlock alongside whatever he's going to do with Ozil. Uh, That's great for Arsenal then going. I'm sure you'll comment on Tottenham here. Tottenham's also closing on a deal for Madrid. Sergio Reguilon at left back. Uh, That's per ESPN, who has a few sources. Uh, What do you think about that really quickly before we get to a few... Uh, a few more questions and wrap up that um, just on that left back situation. We need a new left back. Bring him, please. <laughs> that is very succinct, and I'm glad you have what Bale. Oh, you're getting two Real Madrid players. Yeah, I'm exactly. At it. Yeah, we got that. Cam. We'll get the cam already. You'll get the cam. That FIFA. Yeah, that FIFA uh, cam. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. Uh, so those are a few of the transfer um, things. Looking through some of the news, and then finally. Um, best performance and worst performance of the week, and then looking at our sneaky good game of the upcoming week. Uh, I'll let you look at some of the options while I go through my best and worst performance. I'm going to say 
we talked about it. Arsenal looked very, very competent. And that's the word I'm using with them. They look good. Um, and, and comparing it just with Chelsea for the fun of it, their 3-1 win against Brighton, they looked better against Fulham than Chelsea did against Brighton against two sides that will be in the relegation fight this season. Um, I want to see Arsenal do it against the better side. That should be coming soon. But I was really impressed with Arsenal this week. And then, God, I don't know who even would watch West Ham Newcastle. But that was just terrible. I'm going to say West Ham losing two, uh, yeah, two nil uh, to Newcastle. I I barely even watched this game. It was just looking through all the results. Most sites had a sol- put in a solid performance. I don't think West Ham did. I don't know what's going to be going on under da- um, David Moyes there. Who knows? Uh, West Ham's probably going to be a mess in the relegation scrap again. Usually they get out of it at the end of the season. But both sides. Newcastle could have been so much more talented. They almost had that new ownership, which would have been interesting to see. But yeah, I'm going to say West Ham um, for worst performance, Arsenal for best. I'm just remembering we're going to get Liverpool-Chelsea this week, and I'm so excited for that. Yeah, so. that's going to be that's going to be a great game. I mean, we talked about Chelsea, and we talked about Liverpool. That's that's setting up to be an excellent match to watch. Oh, um, so fun. I'll share my my uh, my top team. Uh, it's tough. There were, there were a lot of teams that I liked, but... I'll go with Leicester. We haven't really talked about them yet. They yeah. uh, they they put away West Brom pretty easily, three nothing. It was zero zero at halftime actually, but uh, then Jamie Vardy and the rest of the team took over. Vardy actually scored two penalty kicks, uh, the the second and third goals of the match to to really just seal the deal. And they never really had any issues. Uh, it it was zero zero, but it wasn't really any of anything like they were doing where they. Were, were allowing themselves to to keep it a close game. That's just how the game went, and uh, and and they they really just didn't have any issues all game. So good from them. It's a newly promoted West Brom team, but still, uh, it's it's exactly what I would expect from from Leicester, and and so I, I think they're on on the right foot. And then my 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 worst performance. You know, there's there's a lot of teams that I could go with here that that didn't put in great performances, but they were also playing against pretty good teams. So it's tough to say. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm just going to go with Tottenham. Tottenham were, Tottenham were expected to win the game, and they did not. And I think that that's I think that that's the only game from this weekend that you can really say that. And uh, and, and so there it is. Tottenham okay. did not get the job done. They they could have drawn. They could have won. They should have drawn. They should have won, but they just didn't. So Tottenham are the it. most disappointing team. Yep, I'll, I will take that. And then. Last thing, and then we will leave the Premier League. What's your sneaky good game of the week? I'm going to go for mine, and this is something new we're going to try and do and find like a, a game that probably nobody would really watch or that, that could be fun. I'm going to say Fulham leads. <laughs> we talked about both team leads are are going to probably have a field day against Fulham, um, both newly promoted sides here. They're just, it's gonna, I predict this is going to be a very open game. There's going to be a lot of crazy, crazy moments. There's so much potential for goals here, and I think this would be more defense optional. And, of course, it's the first game at Ellen Road in a long time, and it's a bummer there's no fans there to kind of uh, revel in, in this huge moment for Leeds. But I think it'll be a fun one that if you have – I think it's on Peacock. I don't even know. Um, but if you have nothing else to do, and college football right now, it looks like a lot of these games are being wiped off the table. you got the big noon game tomorrow, Baylor, Houston off. I think the Premier League slate tomorrow morning is a heck of a lot more entertaining than the Premier League slate. So, the, I mean, than the, the college, college football. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, a whole heck of a lot more entertaining. So, yeah, that's my entertaining game there. What's yours? Uh, mine is Manchester United versus Crystal Palace. Okay. Uh, you know, it's it's a game that a lot of people might watch because it's Man U, but at the same time, you know, uh, Man U have not played uh, a Premier League match yet. They Their, their game yes, uh, last weekend was uh, postponed. It, it had been done earlier on. I, I can't remember the exact reasoning. I think it had something to do with uh, with rest and, and the teams requested. I think City was also included that as well. Um, yeah. but, but anyway, uh, Palace are coming off a victory. Uh, you know, Zaha for, for Palace is going to be a threat to United. And last season, uh, I believe Crystal Palace won one of the games, uh, one of the two, and, and United won the other. So they, they went one and one last season. I, I think that you can never really count Palace out. From a Tottenham perspective as well, if I could go there real quick, you know, Palace yeah. are have been so deadly to Tottenham for some reason. And, uh, you know, I think that they can put in a good performance against United, and I think it'll be it'll be an exciting game to watch, even though United are, are certainly the, the, the favorite in that match. Of course, yeah. Now we only probably have, what, five or six more minutes. So we have uh, a little bit more to talk about. Of course, Germany, not much happening there. DFB Pokal competition. Um, Bruce Dortmund, five. MSV Duisburg, zero. Gio Reyna scores. So that was a positive. It was a deflected set piece, but it counts. And to be one of the names alongside Jaden Sancho, Marco Royce, and um, uh, Hazard. It's not Eden Hazard. It's brother Thorgan Hazard. Um, just to be in that mix is great for the young American. Very exciting. Dynamo. Uh, or Dynamo I don't even know which Dynamo there are because there's a bunch in Europe. Beat Hamburg 4-1. Kind of concerning. Uh, Leverkusen put a touchdown on nine tracks. Norderstedt. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you pronounce that somewhere close to correct. <laughs> somewhere close to correct in my watching Bundesliga soccer. But German football is back. 8 nothing. of course. Um, Bayern beat Schalke before we came on the day. Bayern looked really, really good. Schalke looked really, really bad. Um, Robert Lewandowski is probably one of the best all-around strikers in the world. And he made, I mean, he had a few couple of great turns and touches that kind of showcase that he scored on a penalty. You have Yashua Kimmich, who is just unbelievable as a defensive midfielder. His chip pass to Leroy Sané and one of the goals. Incredible. Um, and Bayern Munich going for the ninth consecutive Bundesliga title. Uh, and then there'll be a fun game tomorrow, 11.30 a.m. If you want to tune off the Premier League, I don't know which games are going on at that time slot. I think it's, I don't even know. I uh uh, I'm not going to guess that, but Dortmund, uh, Borussia, Mönchengladbach will be a very, very fun game, and that's on ESPN+. Plus. So I just ran through our entire Germany rundown. What do you have, like, what are some of your thoughts on the Pokal and um, Bundesliga returning and then Bayern? Yeah, so first of all, the fact that Bundesliga, Bundesliga is now on ESPN+, Plus is it's incredible. So it's amazing. Uh, it's been a league that I've wanted to watch, but it's never really been available, and it's just it's difficult to get access to it. But ESPN Plus is now uh, streaming it, so that's awesome. And you get the whole ESPN crew, Taylor Twellman, and and all those guys as well. So fun to watch. But yeah, I mean Bayern picking up right where they left off in their uh, Champions League final victory. And real quick, actually, I think yeah. it's so interesting to look at where Bayern have gone and where PSG are now. You know, they they played each other in the Champions League final like a month ago. 
and mm-hmm. now we've got PSG. They lost their first uh, League One match against Lens, one nothing. They lost to uh, Marcel, uh, Mar- Marseille, one nothing, uh, yeah. and and that that game was wild. And they just got their first uh, first win finally in League One against Mets. Uh, so they're now they've got three points out of three games, which is not the start that they would have ever imagined. And uh, you know, as clear favorites in League One, it's it's a very difficult start. So I think they can bounce back from that. But anyway, I think it's interesting to look at that versus Bayern coming out and winning eight nothing against Schalke. Uh, it, you know, am I surprised? No. Do I think they're going to win Bundesliga? Yes. Will they be a threat in the Champions League next season? Yes. I think that they're just they're the same team, and you know they mm-hmm. played this game without Alfonso Davies, uh, yeah. letting him rest on the bench. So uh, they can they they're just they're going to be a great team, and I'm not surprised at all. Yeah, we're going to need a whole heck of a lot more than an hour. We could just kind of riff on all day, and with Bundesliga really getting started, I yeah. can't imagine. Putting that in, Serie A is getting started. That's on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, La Liga, no one can really watch it because it's always on BN, and I don't think anybody gets BN. Uh, so yeah, we'll see him yeah. in Major no League BN, Soccer. No BN, actually. No, no BN. BN. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah, so we're going to have to talk a little bit more about um, Bundesliga when we, uh, next Friday where I will be in the studio with you. I'm very excited for that. I hope we get a second mic working. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we have two or three minutes before we got to log off here. Uh, now just kind of shifting to America really quickly. Atlanta United, more drama. They lost 4-2 to Nashville SC. I think Miles Robinson, the young center back, um, coming into the game said, oh, yeah, we're the better team on paper. We should win, which is what you should never say to the media as a soccer player or as, for any sport. Um, so that was kind of um, counterproductive. And then as a team, they have some strong links to Linus's Marcelino Moreno trying to replace um, – Pity Martinez, who we went over last week, now plays, I think, in Dubai or Saudi Arabia, somewhere in the Middle East. Uh, I, think was, I think it was Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia, yeah. Um, so that he'll probably be a designated player. That was reported by Felipe Cardenas of The Athletic. Moreno's um, 25 and still a gamble for uh, Bocanegra, as I mean, United haven't really been hitting that much on their designated player spots. I mean, you got Barco there, but Pity Martinez, eh. Um, They'll be good, though. It's kind of interesting to see that. You got Minnesota United as of this morning, uh, according to Ives uh, Gellerstep. I probably mispronounced his name, but it's SBI Soccer reported that um, Minnesota United traded for Kai Kamara for allocation money. Um, it'll be kind of interesting to see how he fits in with um, Emmanuel Reynoso, uh, who will be playing 10, and Kamara is such a prolific striker, especially through the air. And if Minnesota United want to play more direct, they can feed him some crosses. Inter-Miami finally signed Gonzalo Higuain. Um, and they needed someone to put the ball in the back of the net. They get that in Gonzalo. Seattle, Brad Smith, who was such a dominant force at center back when he played alongside uh, the Panamanian Roman Torres uh, for Seattle. Um, when they were really, I mean, they won the MLS Cup last year. So they're still really strong, but that center back tandem was probably as good as they've had in the MLS era. And then... Just some results. Colorado 5, RSL 1 in the Rocky Mountain Cup. Ugly result for RSL, considering that Colorado went on to lose 4-1 to one against FC Dallas the other day. Uh, FC Dallas beat Houston 2-1. to one, uh, And then San Jose Portland drew 1-1. One, one. And I know we're running tight on time. Is there anything you wanted to add as far as Major League Soccer goes or 
Yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah. Just one thing quick. Uh, tonight's uh, MLS matchup is uh, Sounders LAFC, which will be, be exciting. You know, LAFC have not had the the start that they wanted after the uh, MLS's back tournament. I think they only have two wins out of six matches, so that's only six points in six matches. Um, and so it'll be it'll be crucial for them to get back on track against a solid team like Seattle. So, uh, you know, I, hopefully they can uh, improve their play. Better than Portland, but we yeah. will see on Saturday. Uh, I think, do you want to kind of take us out um, of another, I think, pretty successful hour segment just talking some soccer? Yeah, it was a good time. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. You can follow us on Twitter at Soccer at the Zoo. That's Z-O-U. And uh, we look forward to talking with you guys again next week. Very exciting time watching soccer this weekend.